You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will arrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, hello. Welcome to the Get Fucking Real show. I can't think of a time that we are being called to GFR more now than ever before. We are in a worldwide GFR wormhole. And if you've been hanging around here long enough, you know that wormhole means that on the other side, there is enormous breakthrough learning and transformation that could not have been accomplished any other way and it is for the betterment of everybody involved. So I have a lot of faith that there is good shit on the other side of this craziness that we are living right now. And I am now more than ever excited about having a free resource for people to put positivity into their life, to feel inspired, to hear stories from people that have overcome some really hairy situations. And not only have they overcome, they then channeled that struggle into a, a mission, a way that they are serving people, helping people. And it kind of makes all of that struggle make sense. So for the macro GFR worldwide wormhole to these individual, personalized GFR wormholes that our show was about. I am committed to you being fed the, the stories and the personal journeys that you need to hear in order to know that all is well and that you are on the right track and that you can do that thing that you want to do, that you can really do that thing. And today's guest is such a great example of this. Her name is Sam Bennett, um, that's short for Samantha, and she specializes in working with highly creative people. And you know, one of the things that I'm connected to right now in this time where we have a lot of downtime is how important creativity is to us. It is so nourishing and generative and you know, just reminds us of our humanity that it is an awesome thing to lean more into. And if you are already a creative person, you might be really luxuriating and having more downtime to be with your ideas and maybe even walk out a couple. 
So Sam Bennett is a writer, a speaker, an actor, a teacher, and a creativity and productivity specialist. Um, she has a couple great books. Um, one of them is Get It Done, From Procrastination to Creative Genius in 15 Minutes a Day. And her latest is called Start Right Where You Are, How Little Changes Can Make a Big Difference for Overwhelmed Procrastinators, Frustrated Overachievers, and Recovering Perfectionists, <laughs> which I think basically covers most of our audience. If you uh, want to be or are an entrepreneur, I think we, we fall into one of these categories. So Sam says that busy is her favorite narcotic. Is busy your favorite narcotic? <laughs> you know, she's so um, unapologetic in her candidness about her life dealing with depression and anxiety. And despite living with depression and anxiety. She has a multi-six-figure business. She's written two bestsellers. She's written a musical, y'all. And she lives in the beach town paradise of her dreams. Narcotic, her, and her favorite narcotic is being busy. And of course, during this you know, period of time, being busy actually might be a little bit more challenging than we're accustomed to being. In fact, um, we might be reaching for other things um, that are quote unquote narcotics or you know, help us to uh, deal with our emotions, help us to get out of our fear, help us, or at least, you know, temporarily. And um, I love how candidly she shares about this and how much being busy really served her uh, through the years. So I, I really look forward to you meeting her. Um, I've known her for many years. We met, you know, at some networking mastermind thing, probably, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And we have connected at strategic times in our lives, supporting each other and, and masterminding with each other. And she is the real deal. You can see that we have a lot of fun together. Um, and I can't wait for you to meet her. So without further ado, Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett, welcome to the GFR show. Thanks, Lisa. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. I am so super excited that we get to have this conversation. We've, we've had lots of fun conversations and connections over the years and support each other and kind of show up in, like, in each other's lives spontaneously, you know, for different infusions. So I'm excited to give my listeners a Sam Bennett infusion because you're fabulous and honest and real and you live with depression and anxiety and you're completely transparent about it and your creative, you know, like expressions and are beautiful. And so I'm, I'm really excited to have this, this um, real conversation with you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. What could, what's not to love about Get Fucking Real, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> This is very, very true. So I, you know, I'm going to acknowledge this in, you know, I acknowledge this in the opening, but I also want to acknowledge it like that probably when this is released, we are in a very funky ass time. And, you know, it's interesting because the, my show guests that are like the timing of their release of their episodes is totally divinely orchestrated. And so I know when yours hits, it's going to be what people what people need to hear, you know, we need to give ourselves a steady diet of the good shit um, because I believe it's the people that are the listeners of this show that are the leaders that we need right now. So a hundred percent. And we're just now, but really always, I mean, it's sort of heightened now, but we're always right. in a very fluid situation. We're in a very fluid world that calls for calmness and kindness and creativity 
calmness and kindness and creativity are as contagious as anything else, maybe even more so. So the more we can, yeah, stand up and, and claim the, the light and claim the opportunity and claim the compassion and claim the community and be there for each other in all new ways. Um, while I'm heartbroken at so much that's happening, I'm also really inspired by the amount of innovation cleverness and get it done and get fucking real energy that is out there right now people just going like all right well let's just make this work shall we i yes. love that yes i could see you're like tickled about it it's kind of like <laughs> these are my people these are my give people. me a They're shit like, show and i will watch it with bated breath <laughs> i'm telling you it's when i think it's one of the it's one of the hallmarks of the highly creative person right you tell yeah. us we've got to go to the same place and do the same thing every day and we're like kill me now you tell us we've got a highly volatile, ever-changing situation that we don't really know what the right solution is. We're like, let me at it. <laughs> yes. You know, and I think you're like my hubby too in that, you know, you appreciate being able to stay home and just sort of like, you know, it's like you have your, your we have our nests. It's like the safe perch in which to observe. <laughs> well, I've already designed my life, you know, as, as, a, as a depressive and anxiety person and also as an introvert, I have also designed my life to be you know, I, I'm like, stay home and work all day. Well, that's every day. <laughs> I just feel like I want to welcome everybody to my world. Like, I know it's nice yes. on the couch, right? Yes. It's nice with the kitty yes. cats. It's nice. And I cook at home. I cook almost every meal we make anyway. So I feel like my, my uh, slightly obsessive need to have a very full pantry. I feel a little vindicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, I told I, you people. <laughs> I always say, you know, in the unlikely event of an emergency, we're going to want X, Y, Z. And look, I also live in fire country and mudslide country. I mean, it's not completely unwarranted. It's not unwarranted. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, the memes are just the best, like, you know, um, one that, you know, again, along the introvert lines of like, you know, all, you know, the introverts woke up and all of a sudden, like the world was designed for them, you know, overnight. 100%. 100%. I think I might've told you my cousin, who's easily the funniest person I know, posted a meme of herself working at her desk and her, she's got three small boys. And she has them bound and gagged and laying at her feet. <laughs> that is like the funniest. I have to look that. It's so funny. It's, it's yeah. Hilarious. I don't know if it's she's sharing hilarious. outside the family, but I'll see if I can get her. Oh, okay. All really right. Fun. All right. I did. Yeah. Okay. All right. But just well, but it's enough. Not, right. Here's the. This is. Oh, you yes. can get this at the real Sam dot com shop. Everything is temporary. Everything is temporary. Everything is Everything temporary. Is tem yes. You see, if you you don't see the video, Sam is holding up this awesome mug. So great. All right, so let's get into the backstory that is Sam Bennett um, that, that sort of spit out the, the being that we are with today. Um, where do you want to start? I mean, often when people ask, so how did you get from you know, where you were to, to where you are? Um, I usually say it was completely inadvertent. <laughs> I, had no, I had no plans for any of this. Um, I started out as an actor. I was one of those kids who I did my first play in kindergarten, always did all the shows. I went to theater camp. I studied theater. I mean, that was my whole world. I actually left Northwestern University so that I could take a job at the Second City because that seemed a lot more interesting. And yeah. And it was. Um, there's a picture of me from my first wedding uh, where I'm in a big white dress because it's my wedding. And... Um, <laughs> My then husband <laughs> and my then husband and still very good friend and genius uh, Ron is there with me and all our work friends. So it's us and Steve Carell and Stephen Colbert and Amy Sedaris and Jim Belushi and Nia Bordalis and Ian Gomez and like all the people. And we were just kids, you know, 
in going down to Bloomington Normal to do a show. <laughs> like we were, nobody was famous yet. Um, wow. What a, yeah. just, 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 just pausing on that. Like what a, what a perspective that provides of just like life paths and, you know, where, you know, where people's journeys take them, you know, and they, though they're all whatever, quote unquote, successful, but each one is, has a, had a totally different um, trajectory. And you, I know you've written a, you know, uh, a show, a musical, and you have had your own, you know, creative expression and you're helping that your help. Your mission was to help those creative people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a real vote for, you know, really surround yourself with better tennis players, you know, surround yourself with the people who are better at what you love than you are. It was a very competitive environment. It was in some ways very challenging and very, very difficult. And in other ways, the most fun you could possibly have. If I have a nickel for every dollar I spent at that bar across the street from Second City, I'd be a rich woman. But uh, we had a lot of, we had a lot of fun. And um, I'm still friends with those guys. I ran into Adam McKay just the other day, who great writer, producer, executive producers of our time. You know, it was like we'd been anomed. We like ran at each other across a crowded lobby, like, because those people that you spend those early days with you know they're they're yours for life so so yeah so that was a lot of fun and then in uh 1994 he moved out to LA to come sort of play with the big boys and I had one of those acting careers that always went well enough that you didn't want to give up on it you know I always had an agent I would book shows I was on the Drew Carey show in Days of Our Lives and Modern Family and you know I was on and uh and I didn't know that you didn't have to waitress (laughs) I didn't waitress. I did, however, have every other fucking job under the sun. I delivered <laughs> flowers. I produced radio dramas. I rehabbed old houses in historic West Adams district. I was an executive assistant a bunch of different times. Like I, you name it, I did it. It was a mess. It was a chaotic mess. My job was just this nonstop rush of like jobs and gigs and auditions and shows and part-time and full-time and half-time and this time. Creatively, very, very satisfying. Financially, disastrous. I mean, I was really, really good at being broke. I can still, to this day, do things with beans and rice that no one else can do. I shopped in everything from thrift stores, everything. I would always play, guess how much this outfit cost? And it was usually less than $100, including bras and shoes. That's impressive. (laughs) It was impressive. impressive. I was really good at being broke. Um, along the way, I just got really interested in this question of how do creative people make decisions? How do you know what to do when you could kind of do anything? You know, like you've got a podcast, so how do you promote it? You know, do you want to release videos? Should you buy Facebook ads? Should you stand on the corner with a, with a sandwich board? Like, what do you do? And there isn't a right way, right? What worked for Stephen Colbert was different than what worked for Nia Bordalis, right? Those are, these are everybody's really got their own trajectory. And that's true for performers, but it's also true for entrepreneurs. There's no right way to be a parent. There's no right way to be a friend. There's no right way to be you. I started to come up with all these sort of worksheets and exercises and kind of little ways for people to help figure out, like, what do you really want to do? Where's your desire? And how do you want to do it? What's your way of executing? Because when you're doing what you want to do in the way you want to do it, it's not that hard to get things done. So I started teaching a class called Get It Done in like a church basement in Van Nuys for maybe 11 people. And maybe I was charging them $75 and feeling really shy about it for like a 12-week class. It was ridiculous. No, Um, I've been there. Yeah, mine was uh, uh, $97 for like two days or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Um, And then I started teaching it online and then... 
and then my life kind of fell apart. My second marriage fell apart. The, the one, two punch of alcoholism and infertility just kind of took that mm. marriage down. And, um, your alcoholism and infertility or his alcoholism, <laughs> his alcoholism, my infertility <laughs> or our joint infertility. Combo. Yeah. Combo. Right. So I spent six weeks crying on the couch, which is what you do when your life falls apart. And then I had one thought, which was maybe I could go to Carpinteria, which I had always been fascinated by Carpinteria. I had always loved it from the minute I heard, first heard the word. I didn't even know what it was. I heard the word and I felt that gong, that, that sense of recognition of like that, that's my place. I didn't even know what it was. And so I came here and I got a short-term rental and I got another short-term rental and then I just stayed and it was far and away the smartest thing I've ever done. So where, for people that don't know where the F that is, where the F is that? No one knows where it is. People <laughs> in LA don't know where it is. So Carpinteria is about 90 minutes north of Los Angeles. It's very near Santa Barbara. It's very near Montecito, right, where Oprah and Ellen live. Um, but it's this tiny little beach town that, like, time forgot. Like, this town looked around in about 1979, and they were like, yep, we're good. <laughs> So there's no development. There's nothing fancy. All the shops are mom and pop shops. There's no chain stores. Um, we're right by the beach. There's seals and dolphins and it's just ridiculously gorgeous all the time. I, we said at the opening that you have dealt with anxiety and depression for your whole life. And so we just told the story absent of acknowledging that. And it sounds like wow, like she, you know, was super busy and she did not acting and then she started, you know, teaching classes and, you know, uh, you know, and, you know, you definitely talked about the marriage ending and the heartbreak and infertility and for sure that sounds like that sucked. <laughs> and oh, it super you, sucked. Super sucked. Can you, can you um, give us now almost like, can you give us the narrative, the parallel narrative of you realizing or getting diagnosed or self, whatever, however it is, and then yeah. how you... Um, managed life up into that point, and because I, I know that it, you manage it based on um, your books and your embracing the creative nature, creativity, and the nature of the creative and how they run their life. I know that that's that's really been birthed through you know the struggle that you've dealt with. So I would love to to give the listeners just a glimpse into that narrative of like how are you how are you doing all that and also owning the mental challenges that you had or emotional. Yeah. So, yeah. So I have, I have always had, um, depression and anxiety and I think I always would have, you know, but when I was a kid, there was no such thing as childhood depression. Right. Yeah. Why do kids, why would kids be unhappy? What's, what's that about? <laughs> right. Right. I was, I was certainly told I was too sensitive, you know? Mm. Um, but I was also growing up in a fairly chaotic environment. My parents got divorced when I was quite young and then they continued to marry and divorce everybody else they could find. So, I have more ex-step parents than most people have toes. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So there was a lot of instability in my, in my growing up. And as much as there was also a lot of being in a very enriched environment, I went to this really great school. We were living in downtown Chicago. So there was a lot, um, you know, a lot of great about it, but there was also a lot that was hard about it. And again, especially, you know, in the seventies when, like I said, there wasn't, there wasn't any such thing as, as emotional abuse or, childhood sexual abuse or incest, any of those things that, that totally happened, there was no way to talk about. So the blessings of that for anybody who grew up in a traumatic environment, you know that you develop, first of all, an amazing ability to compartmentalize, you know, an amazing ability to just put something in a box and set it aside and go about your day like nothing is happening. It's a short-term strategy, <laughs> but it does work. 
in the short term. Uh, you do have to open the box and deal with the shit eventually, but you know, day to day, you can't actually make it through. And it certainly primed me to be an actor because my desire to be someone else was very strong. And the world is a much more comfortable place for a depressive when you know exactly what it is that's expected of you. So to have lines and blocking and direction and know where to go and what to do uh, was great for me. And it, was, and it matched my love of language. It matched my love of expression, my emotionality. You know, I was really tailor-made for, for the theater. And I found my people there. You know, the theater is a very wide open place. Um, it's hard to be too weird in the theater department. Yes. Yes, yes. And my, my daughter is in high school now. She's a freshman and she has been a dancer her whole life and decided to let go of the competitive part, which yes. is a huge time commitment because she wanted to leave space for exploring. And she had done a little bit of theater camps and, and stuff in the summer, but uh, she is having a blast. She has found her people in the theater department, in the drama department. And it's, I mean, it, it's, there's something magical about finding your people and feeling at home. Wow. And, you know, and she's, I was going to say, she's not too weird, you know. <laughs> so far, it seems she's, you know, sexually uh, heterosexual. <laughs> you know, you know, but but she just loves the, the variety of people, and she loves people just owning who they are, and you know, it's just so. And she's she's super outspoken, and as you can imagine, y'all, I know it's not a surprise. But what? She, Where could I you know, have gotten that from? Up, y'all, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so glad for your daughter, and I just want to reassure all the parents out there: if you've got a kid who's interested in theater, honestly straight up, encourage them as much as you possibly can. Because I know there's a whole world out there that's saying, well, you can't make money doing that. You need something practical to fall back on. But here's the thing. Theater is so practical. What you yes. learn about, first of all, just the skill of being able to get up in front of people and speak. Yes. Is <laughs> epic. 90% of people cannot and will not do it. So that alone is an incredible leadership skill. The ability to like I said, the, the understanding of language, of emotion, of body language, of how to work in a team, right? In the theater, we call that ensemble, but in the rest of the world, they call that team. You know, I have a friend who was a director friend of mine. He went on to take a big job at Apple. And he says, whenever he's interviewing people, he can always tell who's got theater experience. This is just awesome. what they know about give and take, what they understand about energy, what they understand about how self-possessed they are and their ways of presenting themselves, clarity of communication, don't think that like, oh no, oh no, they're headed for a garret in Paris. No, no, they're headed for anything they want to be headed for. The, the skills you learn as an actor, I think it should be mandatory, like the Israeli army. Like everybody should just have to spend two years in the theater. I totally agree. <laughs> I love that. And I totally agree. And it is, it is beautiful to watch how she has blossomed. And she started, you know, she, uh, at, on the crew like the the first mm. thing that they did was a really small cast so you know she's a freshman she didn't get a part she and so she she was going back and forth she joined the crew it was an, a phenomenal experience you know aside from her being an expert now putting doorknobs on doors you know she she you know she got to be a part of this amazing thing and they won awards and 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 the theater she said it was amazing because in the, in, with the theater crew, the crew is important. Like they're not, you know, just, they're as important as the actors. So blown away by that. Oh, even more so. I was talking to my nephew about this. He just got cast in a, as one of the leads in one of his youth theater production, Yay! he's 10. And I said, you know, here's the thing that's a little deceptive about the theater is it looks like the person who's in the spotlight is the star and it's all about them. 
but it's actually, it's really the definition of the servant leader, right? The person in the spotlight is there to support everyone else, is there to make everyone else look great, is there to make the job easy for the person in the booth and the person backstage and the person in the orchestra. They are, they're the one that the light is on, but they are not the ones making everything happen. I love that, the servant leader, beautiful. Yeah. So you found your people in, the theater, in, in theater and drama and that helped you as a person with depression, like you enjoyed the structure and someone sort of telling you what to say and where to go. And, and so that helped you manage your, your symptoms and get out of bed in the morning, I'm assuming. <laughs> Definitely. And being so busy all the time, you know, I mean, I was seriously overscheduled for most of my life and uh, it was great because I could rely on adrenaline to make me productive. And I think I thought, you know, busy is kind of my favorite narcotic, right? Nice. If yeah. I'm busy, it's, it's, it's great. It's a great distinction, right? To, yeah. to, and to acknowledge that, like, obviously overdoing shit is not good, but to know like, hey, that I, I like being busy, you know? And it sounds like, you know, you've found a way to fill your life up with things that fulfill you and not busy for busy sake now. Right. But yeah, you didn't have that distinction then. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. So yeah, busy is my favorite narcotic and that feeling of like, well, if I'm busy enough, then the only feeling I'll have is tired and I won't have to look at the self-loathing. I won't have to look at the feelings of failure because while it was so great to be friends with all these successful people, it also meant I felt like I would like had made it onto the Olympic team, but never made it off the bench kind of, you know, and it was, took me a long, long time to work through that, that feeling of like, just recognizing that I was comparing myself to people who had made it into the point zero 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 one percent of success in the entertainment community, that it did not diminish this, that that did not diminish the success that I had had. In fact, given the fact that I'm almost 5'11", it's remarkable that I worked ever because <laughs> there are not that many jobs for tall girls <laughs> in Hollywood. Yeah, and to really sort of parse that out and not have that feel like a failure was, was kind of a big deal. That is a huge deal. And I, I, I don't want to gloss over that because comparing, we just, you know, it is the worst. Comparing ourselves to other people um, and having that, uh, that make us feel diminished is the fucking worst thing. The worst habit, I think, that we could do. So I can imagine it's like having a successful sibling, right? It, you know, it was worse. Yeah. <laughs> because they're on freaking TV and, and all that. Wow. Good for you. And thanks for sharing that, right? Because, you know, what I always love about you, Sam, is, well, your candidness and rawness. And, but like, you didn't just drop those names. It was like, this was my life. And, you know, it was great. And it sucked at the same time. You know, to, you, you, I think I always appreciate the full color spectrum that you uh, are willing to own. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. And it did suck. And I think honestly, even my friends who are super duper crazy successful would tell you that it's great and it sucks to be them too. Right. You know, Thank probably you. my most famous friend says, describes fame as an unfortunate blessing. That's, you gotta let that sink in. Yeah. And it's one of those things that people aspire to, right? They want to be famous. Um, you know, my thing, you know, my thing used to be, I want to make seven figures and then I did. And then I wound up get, exiting that business because I wasn't having fun. Right. So like, what is the nirvana? Like, what is the thing that you think is going to be, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be skinny or whatever, you know, what is that nirvana? And oh, like the lifetime of just 
fucking loving ourselves, <laughs> you know, that, that the lifetime journey of getting to that place where we, you know, can love ourselves in, in all of the, you know, all of our crazy, love our crazy too, right? <laughs> Exactly, because it's all spectrumy, right? I mean, the crazy is part of the adorable, and the adorable is part of the the insightful, and the insightful is part of the overthinking, and the overthinking is part of the crazy. Right? It all yes, goes, it all goes I together. I love that. Thank you. Yes, I had so a busy. Go ahead, yeah. go ahead. I want to hear. So I ended up having a conversation with a friend of mine in a coffee shop one time where I said something about you know being. Oh, actually, what had happened was I had a friend who. Uh, a friend of mine also from Second City who had killed herself. She was a comedy writer and she killed herself. It was incredibly, incredibly sad. And my friend that I was having coffee with said, oh, well, was she depressed? And I said, well, she was a comedy writer. Of course she was depressed. <laughs> like, right. Every comedy writer is depressed. They like, have where to do have you a morose comedy? view of the world, right? <laughs> where do you think that comes from? And, and he said, are you depressed? And I said, oh yeah, I think I've been depressed my whole life. Now I've been in and out of therapy. I've been in and, and no one had ever diagnosed me with depression. And he said, really? Do you really think you're depressed? And I sort of went, kind of, I, I, don't, I don't know. And he said, well, here, read this book. And he recommended a book that I will now recommend to all of you, write this down. It's called The Noonday Demon, An Atlas of Depression by Andrew Solomon. It's a big book. It is exquisitely written. He's an unbelievably beautiful writer. And it is about his personal journey of depression as well as his studies of depression. It is the most I've read all of the books on depression. There's a lot of good ones out there. That one is the best. It was an amazing light bulb moment to be reading it and just being like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, that's, this is, I, I, this is me. I have a thing. I have a thing. <laughs> like, right? I'm not just crazy. I'm depressed. And part of it is because I have what's called atypical depression, which I don't know why they call it atypical. It's not that rare. <laughs> it's actually kind of common, but um, it's called atypical depression. And it, what that means is it's not the kind of like lay in bed and cry all day kind of depression. You can actually get up and do things and you tend to draw off the energy of the room. So again, if there's expectations of you, you will tend to meet those. It's really only when you're alone that the, that the walls come in. While in some ways it's great because it can lead you to be a fairly productive member of society and be fairly high functioning, it also means that no one really knows. Right. No one really notices. You know, when you're alone crying all day, people eventually people come knocking on your door. They're like, what the hell's going on? I looked so fine from the outside. I remember having a conversation with a friend and I was really trying to tell her how rough things were inside of my head. And she said, in the most loving but offhanded way possible, like, oh, Sam, I never worry about you. I'm sure you'll be fine. Mm. And I was like, could you worry about me? Could someone worry about me? Because frankly, I am worried about me. Please worry about me, please. Please, someone worry about me. And it's amazing to me that I sat in four or five different therapist's office saying things like, I feel like I'm in a glass box. I feel like no matter how much I accomplish, it doesn't make any difference. I feel like I can't feel anything. One of the hallmarks of of my depression um, is what they call anhedonia, which is the inability to take pleasure in things, oh. right? So hedonism, hedonism is taking too much pleasure in things. Okay. Anhedonia is not being able to feel pleasure in things. So it's often I'll be sitting here going, wow, this is so fun to be sitting here with my friend Lisa and talking. And you're not feeling it. <laughs> I don't have the sensation of fun. I have the intellectual understanding that it is fun. Interesting. And is that how, is that your experience to this day or were you able to shift that or? No, that's pretty much, oh, it's, sometimes it's better and sometimes it's worse. And there are times when I sort of get shocked into feeling and I'm always, 
thrilled. Shocked. I think it's one of the things, literally, I'm always shocked. I'm like, this is actually fun. <laughs> like, I think it's one of the things yeah. I like swimming in the ocean. And even when the water's really cold, and I think it's one of the things I like about cold water is it forces me to have a physical sensation of, of something. I remember, yeah, do you I, remember the Chewbacca mom video? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's hilarious, you guys. If you haven't seen it, you should absolutely Google it. It's hilarious. I remember watching that woman laugh and thinking, I have never been that mm. delighted by anything. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. Thank you for that. I really appreciate your candidness. And I've gotten an education because I hadn't heard that word before. And since, you know, I'm all about transparency and we have a nice connection, it it makes something make sense about, I'm, and as you are, I, I believe extraordinarily intuitive and, and sen- you know, have a sensitivity about people. And I've always enjoyed you. I, it makes, it kind of explains, how do I even describe it? Like, it, I could feel what you're saying. Like, I could feel that about, like, I could feel that you're here and you're having fun and you're smiling and like, you know, when I checked in, I called you before we did it because of all the craziness going on. It's like, how are you feeling? You're feeling fun. But there is, it's like, uh, it's like not warm and fuzzy, you know, it's like there's uh, just so far, but, but I never felt fakeness from you. So it's, that's, you know, like it's an interesting, it's, it's so interesting for me to check my intuition and my feelings and my adoration for you with what you're saying and kind of saying, oh yeah, that makes sense. I could see that, you know? Yeah, I think if I were to rephrase what you're saying, what, what I, what I, the thing I think you're talking about is first of all, it's a slightly presentational style. Like I tend to be sort of yes, presentational in the way that I come up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, a little theatrical. Um, I think it's also my WASP background. Like there's a certain, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we don't talk. There's a lot we don't talk about in WASP families. Um, and uh, that's not polite. And it's one of the reasons why, honestly, I'm not a coach. I don't say that I'm a coach. I don't have coaching certification. People have worked very hard for that certification, and I am not one of them. Um, and part of it is because I don't really want to get into it like that with people's feelings. Stuff. <laughs> but their stuff. And I think if I have a criticism of some of the, our friends in this industry, some of the people I love... Like there's a certain amount of emotional beat off going on that I don't really care for. <laughs> Explain that. Explain. Tell me more. <laughs> well, you see it in the theater too. I'll keep it to the, you know, I don't want to impugn our friends in the personal development community too much, but um, there is a difference between having a wide emotional vocabulary, being super sensitive and intuitive and being able to help people articulate their feelings and move on and to articulate your own feelings and move on in a way that is useful to others versus, oh, I'm having these feelings and let's just sit in it and, oh, let's talk more about it. No, let's talk about more about your feelings. And there's a certain sort of emotional vampirism. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember having one person say to me at an event, like, you have to let us help you. I'm like, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> I super do not have to let you help me. And I feel like having you help me in the way you want to help me is fucking creepy. Back off. Yes. And you all are missing several times. <laughs> Sam has thrown off her glasses, her reading glasses for dramatic effect, which it totally is. And you guys are missing that part, which <laughs> it seems so relevant to what we're talking about right now. I wanted to make sure people weren't missing that part. <laughs> I had to be poking the air with my pen. 
and another thing. Yes, yeah, so she's doing that too. It's a blue pen, really cool color. So yeah, I love this. This is so um, real and raw, and and I just know it's going to help people. Like we're, we're it's people are going to be like, oh, this is so interesting. I wonder if that's me. And oh, look at her. She could do it. And you know, and she doesn't want to be a coach. And she's and, and meanwhile, you're fucking helping a lot of people by not being a coach. And you know, I think it's beautiful for you to own your not coachiness because then you just get to tell people what to do, <laughs> which you do so exactly. beautifully. That's all I want is I want to tell people what to do, have them go away, do it and come back and tell me it worked. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> And you've also, Lisa, you've also made my favorite sound a couple of times just then. This is my favorite sound. This is what I want my business and my life to do, is to make people make this sound, which is, oh, like, oh, that's not that hard. Oh, I could do that. Oh, I never thought about it that way. I love that. Because especially, you know, I work exclusively pretty much with highly creative people. Um, and highly creative people have a lot of really wonderful qualities, including a great gift for nuance and subtlety and, and gray area. You know, we really, re we resist orthodoxy. We resist black and white thinking. You know, you ask a question and we're going to say, well, it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> However, this also means that we will overcomplicate a fucking paper bag. So I deal with a lot of people who have a lot of great ideas and they have immediately locked themselves in because of all the shoulds and crazies and first steps and getting ready to get ready and analysis paralysis and all the stuff. And the minute I can get them to go, oh, I know we've gotten somewhere. Yeah, I, I like when people cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, crying's good too. Then I know I've gotten somewhere. No, just joking. Joking, not joking. <laughs> okay, so um, so you realize that you're depressed and busy is your favorite narcotic. You realize how you're sort of you're managing it. And I don't know how in proximity, you know the chain of events around your, your second marriage ending and dealing, you know, dealing with utility and his alcoholism. So most of our guests have talked about, you know, their, their inclination to move. And it's so funny because it's, it's actually a fascinating thing that I've, a pattern that I've noticed is that they may not listen to their intuition about getting in and out of a relationship or a job, but, but something tells them to move and they're willing to do it when they're not willing to do other things. I find that fascinating that the, that the move, the inclination to move um, seemed to give you a, a new act. So to, to, to go with our theme here. So can you, I guess, can you, I would like to know more about um, that transition and then how that did, you know, open up the landscape for you to own more of your expertise and, and start, stop using busyness as your favorite narcotic. Yes. Um, I will also just, Asterisk, um, both my first and second marriages ended very peacefully and very amicably and very lovingly. I like to think of myself as a pioneer in the field of loving divorce. Beautiful. Um, we're still good friends and he got, he's sober and living in his dream location with his dream love. It's very beautiful. I'm very happy for both of them. I'm sorry we couldn't stay married, but I love that. Well, and I, yeah, I love that. And thank you for modeling that. You know, yeah. um, you know, as many of my listeners know, I've journeyed with monogamy and non-monogamy and all, and, and it has, you have a different perspective around relationships coming into your life for a purpose for a specific period of time and transitioning out. And it's not so, so black and white. And so, you know, um, breakups and, you know, it's, it's just right. no. like, we got what we needed and, 
you know, let's just change this to something different. <laughs> exactly. And just because a marriage ends doesn't mean it failed. I so just agree because, with you. Right? Just because a partnership ends doesn't mean it failed. Just because a business ends doesn't mean it failed. Everything is temporary. And yes. I know lots of people who stayed married and I would not necessarily classify their marriage as a success. Exactly. Right. It's like a healthy, skinny person. I mean, it's like an unhealthy, skinny person. Right. Heart attack exactly. jogging around, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay, so, so thanks I'm, for the ask. I appreciate that. Yeah. So a little asterisk around that. Um, but uh, yeah, the carpenteria thing was amazing because I first heard that word. I had lived in LA for like five days. <laughs> Literally five I did days. not think you were going to say days. <laughs> no, five days. And I overheard two people having a conversation with each other. They were not having a conversation with me. They were talking to each other. And one of them said something to the other about Carpinteria. And I overheard that word and was like, that's my spot. Wow. And like I said, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know anything about it. I just felt that intuitive recognition. And I just sort of filed it away. I mean, I didn't have anything to do with the information at the time. And it took me another couple of years to figure out where it was and then to come here. And the minute I came, I totally fell in love with it. We drove to the beach and parked and in Carpinteria, you can just park. It's not $30 to park. There's not even meters. You can just wow. park, just right? Just park your car. <laughs> you just park your car and get out of your car. And, there's the beach. <laughs> and a pod of dolphins swam by. Wow. And they were like, welcome. <laughs> exactly. It was like, there's your welcome committee. I'm like, yep, this'll do fine. And we'd come up all the time. I'd come for the weekend. I'd come for lunch. I'd come when I needed a break. I mean, like I said, it's only about 90 minutes from LA. So it was an easy drive. And every time I'd come, I'd think, oh my gosh, what would it be like to live here? Like who could possibly even like, it, it, it was, it's, and it seemed impossible because in LA, I was often getting calls at, you know, two o'clock on a Friday afternoon, you have an audition at four, you know, get to Santa Monica right now. It was a lot of last minute stuff. I was doing a lot of late night shows. I mean, it, it just would have been, it would have been possible, but it would have been impractical. Like you said, in 2000 and whenever that was, 2012, 2011, 2012, like I said, everything was sort of falling apart in LA. And I really, I do not believe in the soulmate things for people. I think that's bullshit. Or maybe everybody's a soulmate or something like that. But I think it might be a thing for places. I Interesting. Think I think there might be such a thing as a geographic soulmate. And I did have a teacher say one time, it's not a bad insto diagnosis of your life. How do you feel when you look out the window? And I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Cause I lived in that shit apartment in Chicago that was in the basement that looked out into the alley. And I've had that shit day job. It wasn't a shit day job. It was a great day job for somebody who wanted a day job, but there was an office building that looked out into other office buildings, you know, and I just kept thinking, could I throw myself out this window? Because I'd like to. <laughs> um, you know? uh, and now <clears throat> I look out onto a salt marsh. I look out onto the San Inez Mountains. I can hear the ocean. I can smell the ocean. Like I look out of my window and I fall over with joy about 10 times a day. Yeah. If you have a pull towards a place, I cannot recommend it highly enough. And it was absolutely that thing of like, I took a tiny step to here and the universe came flooding at me. Like I got so much support and so much love and so many unexpected windfalls and blessings and just everything that you would think was totally impractical and impossible absolutely happened in record time, including the love of my life walking in the door. Wow. Did he live there? No, we had been friends. <laughs> so weird. So I don't date. I only get married, right? I met my first okay. husband when we got You're married. so funny. Oh my God. We separated. I only get married. My, other, my second husband, I had actually known him since college. We had been friends the whole time. And he calls me up and like asks me out for coffee. That's it. We get married. All my cynical friends are like, You're fucking kidding me. 
you're single for eight seconds, you go out on one date and you're getting married. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Aren't I great? <laughs> I don't know. Like, and then my second my second marriage splits up and it, this other person that I had also been friends with for like 15 years in a completely unrelated story had applied to get his PhD at UC Santa Barbara, which is just up the road. And he was like, oh, well, you're being Carpernia. I'll come visit you. You know, we could be roommates. Ha, 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 ha. And the next thing I know, Mr. Tall, Dark, and British and I are living together and have been very happy for almost 10 years now. So there you go. And the British are also a bit emotionally repressed. So that works. <laughs> it works because he is also secretly like a complete marshmallow. So <laughs> right? <laughs> exterior, very presentational. Yes, interior. That's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. So in our last little bit here, um, share with us how you the first, uh, like the first book or the, like the, like, how did you fall then into, you know what? I'm not an actress. I'm, or I'm not going to focus on that as my, you know, my main, you know, career. Like, I really feel like I could help like that. Aha, that sort of clouds partying and you know, shining down moment. Yeah. That would have been so great. If it had been a clouds partying, like shining down moment, I would have loved <laughs> I mean, that. Um, I just being visual for you. <laughs> yeah, no, it was more like a really long, slow, muddy slog up a really steep hill. Um, it was a lot for me to pry my fingers off that dream. And the only way really able to do it was to tell myself what I still tell myself, which is that I am still an actor. I will never not be an actor. I was born an actor. I still love to act. I still do it occasionally. Every once in a while, somebody gives me a call and I'll do it. Um, I actually even took an acting class not too long ago, which oh, was- fun crazy and fun and super fun to do now that I so don't give a shit. Like, I wish <laughs> right? I could, I wish I could go back line. in time and give myself the I no longer give a fuck what you think pill <laughs> that I have apparently taken now. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was, this, it was, uh, it required a lot of inner work to do. But like I said, I don't, I don't think it's done. I don't think it's over. Um, I think I will do more acting in, in the future. I will also add that anybody who says the teaching isn't acting is fucking lying. I really, especially now with video and, you know, where you got to speak to people, ain't no people there, right? I mean, right. Yeah. Your, your ability to throw energy through the camera mm -hmm. and reach people where they are and tell the same story over and over again as though it's the very first time <laughs> and manage your own emotions. It's also great prep for, for entrepreneurship because that, that thing of, you know, right before something launches or right before and you're like, this is a disaster. This is never going to go. No one's signing up. Well, it's like, well, too fucking bad because you set the date. So show opens on Friday, show opens on Friday. I we will that. do this thing. And it doesn't matter that that person doesn't know their lines and that effect has never worked. And that joke is stupid. It doesn't matter. You are going to do it and you are going to make it great. I just love this. I love you. I just know that your people, like you resonate with your people, like people probably, your people hear you and go like, yes, please tell me I have to do it. And, you know, like speak my language of the creative world. And like, you're like a business coach for creative people. Cause that's like the language that you have, the context you came from and the way that you can reach your people is to, to in the metaphor, but it's really not a metaphor. Um, I just sort of tickled about that. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, I, it took me years to figure it out that 10 to 15% of the population qualifies as highly creative, right? So they've got a brilliant ideas all the time, not super motivated by money or prestige or power, suspicious of anything too popular, <laughs> um, interested in all the things, good at a lot of things, a lot of skills and talents. Um, 
the ability to think fast and slow at the same time, which is a very rare and sort of interesting biological marker of high creativity. All of these things are, are equal parts blessings and curse, like everything, right? It explains so much of the advice out there is geared to the other 85% of the world, right? So all the highly creative people who are out there are like, oh, I had an idea for a book. And so then they Google how to write a book. And it says, well, start with an outline and then write a first draft and then revise your first draft and then write a second draft. And highly creative people are like, kill me now. Like <laughs> for years, I thought I wasn't a real writer because I don't really revise. I write and edit at the same time. And everybody says, don't do that. But highly creative people can do that. So I want to, I just want to say, yeah, I, it's true. My people, when they find me are like, do you have a camera in my house? You're freaking me out. And I'm like, oh, I know you. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I know how much you have to give to the world. You know, when I think about all the projects and ideas and innovations and writings and videos and artwork that is being held hostage in people's closets and desk drawers and hard drives and just inside of their brain, it kills me. I can't stand it. Y'all better get that work out there because I need it. Mm. I love that. Okay. So to wrap this up, I want to know from you, um, like you talked about the, I no longer give a fuck pill that somehow you took along the way. So give me a couple other sort of lessons learned or transformations that are now the Sam Bennett of today that you wish the Sam Bennett of yesterday, which are now your clients kind of, you know, like permissions. Let's give some permissions here at the end for, for people based on your experience. Yeah. The one I loved was your GFR rule number 10 about how your work has enormous monetary value and it's okay to claim that value. Like I said, I was so good at being broke and I had so much like moral high ground around being broke and prying my sticky fingers off. That idea was epic. But once I finally figured it out, I was like, Oh, there is so much money in the world and it's not that hard to get. And it's really fun. The more you charge, the better your people you're going to get and the better work you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able to work faster and quicker and more effectively and still give plenty. Of course, I've got tons of shit for free. I've got tons of shit that's low cost. It's not like, oh, I only work with high-end clients, but having, allowing my husband to have that range and to really understand that money is it's a, it's a sacred exchange of energy. You know, it's a beautiful expression. I've just had so much fun on my money journey. You know, um, Beautiful. I love yeah, that. Yeah. It's been a blast. I yeah. My money really... journey is quite, quite fruitful and tumultuous as well. So I, I really, really get that. So yeah. And thank you for highlighting GFR commandment number 10. I'm just going to read it here. So you, you paraphrase it beautifully, but just, just to, to, to get the, the real thing in there, know that the struggle, stress, or pain prevented with your expertise has enormous monetary value. And that confession question, cause that's really where the rubber meets the road is where am I not owning my value? What is it costing me? Yeah. 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 Thank you for your perspective on that. I really appreciate it. And yeah, money, money is quite a journey, right? What, whatever our thing is, right? Whatever our wounding, our, our fears, you know, when we really eyes wide open, dig in, which is what the GFR commandments are all about in the show. It's, you know, there's good shit on the other side. hundred <laughs> percent. The other one that I was thinking about this morning, as I was anticipating this conversation with you is 
I think the other thing that really, really helped, it really helped pull me out of the depression, uh, the worst of the depression, and continues to help me daily is this this thing about should, that, that anytime you're thinking that circumstances should be different than they are, or somebody should be behaving differently than they are, or the world should be different than it is, or you should be different than you are, you have immediately fucked your shit up irrevocably. You will not get out of that. So to put down, just put that thought down, just put it down. And for me, Byron Katie was the yes the doorway to that god bless that woman and the work she does yes no. i just just yesterday no joke just yesterday introduced somebody to byron katie who hadn't had it before and she was like oh my god this stuff is brilliant and it is brilliant so simple and so brilliant and so free. simple so brilliant 100 free you don't have to believe anything you don't have to do anything it just loosens the screws on the your lockdown thinking and opens up a whole new world and i always you know, like you feel in your heart, like, oh, it's not really fair to punish somebody for being the person that they are. You know, people are doing the best they can. And sometimes their best is incredibly shitty. In the same way that you have always done the best you could, and sometimes your best was incredibly shitty. And it's one thing to sort of feel that and kind of understand it. And it's another thing to really step into that fully and say, I love and support you for exactly the person that you are. I hold a high vision for wherever it is you want to go, but you are, you're fine. You're good. Do your work. Beautiful. Ah, Sam Bennett, you're a blast. We, I could talk to you for another couple hours. And <laughs> thank you for, for, for being with us and sharing so candidly your journey and sparring with me. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here. Well, that was a hoot. <laughs> so to keep in touch with Sam and to get some of her best stuff, grab her Procrastination Domination Starter Kit. This is her free gift to our audience with a link in the show notes. It's really good stuff. She is so great at breaking things down, especially for those of us that are highly creative. <laughs> and um, you heard that her favorite GFR commandment was that number 10 because she got so good at being broke that she really resonated with the confession question for number 10, where am I not owning my value and what is it costing me? So if you haven't grabbed your copy of the GFR commandments, what are you waiting for? Go grab them at gfr.life forward slash 12C12C. And um, now would be a good time to subscribe to the show. Uh, we are, I don't know about you, but in our house, we are looking for ways to feed ourselves with good, positive entertainment, TV, listening to things. So if you haven't, if this is your first time, welcome. And if it's not, and you still haven't subscribed, it's time to find your podcast app of choice. Is it Apple Podcasts if you're on an iPhone? Is it Google Play because you have an Android? Is it Spotify because you're funky? Is it iHeartRadio? <laughs> Whatever it is, grab an app and then look up the show. It's GFR or Get Fucking Real with the Stars and subscribe so that we can keep in touch and you can um, make sure that you're connected with all of these great inspirational, sometimes unfreaking believable stories from mission-driven, soulful entrepreneurs. All right. Looking forward to seeing you next time.